This is the Wealth and Law Podcast, a podcast about the intersection of personal wealth and the legal landscape. We'll take a deep dive into relevant topics. We'll basically teach you what we know, and we'll engage with guests with deep expertise in their field. We hope that you'll enjoy this episode and many more episodes. So please join us on this journey as we try to bring you relevant information that is both timely and important for you to know in order to engage in this area of the world. Welcome to the Wealth and Law Podcast. I am Brent Nelson, and it is always a good idea to have a plan, uh, depending, well, I guess depending on what you're doing. Sometimes you don't want to have a plan, but in most instances, you want to have a plan. And certainly when it comes to uh, personal wealth and finances and investing, having a plan is almost always critical unless you only want lucky results. And to talk about something like that, you need somebody smart like Doug Nelson. Doug is with me again. Thank you, Doug. Thank you, Brent, for having me. No relation, sadly, but uh, you know, I just want you to know we would have you in my family. You oh, would, that's you nice. would fit in with the cast of characters in my family. Well, you can feel free to call me Uncle Doug anytime you want. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> that means I might have to be nicer to you. Oh, I don't like, know. I could you be know, I'd have to like acknowledge you in public and you know, wish you happy birthday and things like that. Well, but doesn't everybody have that uncle that they just want to kind of forget and pretend doesn't exist? Everybody does. If you want to be that uncle, you can be that for me. Well, I don't, I don't want to be that uncle. Oh, okay. But, uh... <laughs> I just want to make sure where you're going to fit into this. Um, you know, Doug and I have been talking about, well, sorry, let me set the stage just a little bit. So Doug and I both enjoy one of the same pastimes, you can call it that, um, addictions is probably more more uh, accurate or frailties might be the way some people would describe it. And that is fly fishing. We both enjoy fly fishing. Doug does it more than I do. We both do it uh, when we can. And there's two strange elements to this, which just shows the level of depravity, which is that we, number one, we do not, although we have spent significant time in, we do not live in nice climates that have great fly fishing. That's the first thing. And the second thing is we live in a place intentionally that literally has like we don't even have rivers so if you try to piece together the logic of why you would want to have any sort of pastime uh that is literally something you cannot do anywhere close to where you live you know feel free to fill me in on the psychological issues that we have but that is the context for this so we thought that we would try to use this uh pastime of ours and to explain financial planning in the context of fly fishing did and I get you that know, right? Brent, yeah. Yep. Okay. You know, Brent, you, you bring up something about rivers that has always perplexed me. I moved from Northern California, the Pacific Northwest up there, to Lake Tahoe, from there to Santa Fe and Santa Fe here. In each of those prior three places, the rivers actually had water in them. And now I drive across a bridge yeah, here and it says the something river and there's just sand. It, it, I, I don't understand that coming especially from the Pacific Northwest. It's don't try to understand it. You'll never find a suitable solution to that query. Yeah, I mean, if I, if you know, the Northwest is lovely, people who live in those sorts of areas know that. I, um, I've spent quite a bit of time in Bend, Oregon. Uh, Bend actually has rivers and streams. And then you come to Arizona and rivers and streams are just gravel beds. But if we are trying to think about Financial planning. I guess we're starting from the premise that like it's better to have a plan than not have a plan, which I think is a pretty fair assumption to start with. But if you're starting from that premise and we're trying to kind of 
paint a picture here from a, a fly fishing perspective, where would you start? How do you think you would paint that picture? Well, when when you think about Bend, Oregon, there are different species of fish up there. And you would need resources to fish for each type of fish. You would need different resources. So that is a um, a nice comparison to starting with your overall plan from a financial standpoint. Well, what resources do you have available to you? As an example, <clears throat> the first thing that I think about when I think about resources for fly fishing is the terminal gear. What fly rods do I have? Do I have lines that are that are right? Do uh, does the reel have a drag that's effective for the type of fishes fish that I would like to to chase? And that's true in the financial planning arena as well. First of all, what is your ability to save? How much have you put away into your 401k? How much do you expect to earn while you're still working? How long do you expect to work so that we can count on that savings coming through. So the resources become important. And one of the things that people forget is probably the greatest resource that many of us have isn't how much money we have in the bank or how much we have in an old IRA. It's our ability to earn. And if we can earn, then we have the ability to accumulate more resources. And if we're accumulating more resources, we also have additional resources to buy that different fly reel that has the drag on it so that I can go fish for silver salmon up in Alaska and not have to worry about it stripping all the line off my reel. So I think that's the, the first step. And when I think about Bend, I think about two types of fishing up there. Mm -hmm. There is a lot of good trout fishing. There's plenty of that up there, especially for fly fishermen. That's probably the number one species. But there's also pretty good steelhead runs up there. Now, they call steelhead the fish of a thousand casts because they're, they're fairly rare. They're hard to get to, to bite. And then they're even harder to land once they do bite. So when you think about that, you think about, well, if I start saving right now, I could be like the trout fishermen around Bend. There's plenty of them there. You can catch a lot of them and just chip away at that retirement savings. Keep putting a fish here and a fish there. Or I could start my own business and be that person that says, you know, I'm, I'm going steelhead fishing because I'm willing to accept greater risk and the possibility that I may not catch anything. But if I do, it's going to be a big special fish. So that's that's kind of the first part. Do you think it's a it's also not necessarily an either or? So, you you know, if you know you're willing to take on some risk, but you also want to have some, we'll say, relative certainty. There's not I've had some days in Bend on the water trying to catch trout where I caught nothing. So it's not a certainty. Um, but, you know, relative certainty, you can do a bit of both. So maybe you start a business and then you commit yourself to as you're making money in the business, you, you do these sort of smaller things you're describing. You, know, you, you, you contribute to your 401k, you contribute regularly to your your IRA, do those sorts of things. Yes, I, I think that's that's accurate. But again, that will depend upon your resources. Do you have the resources or the job that will allow you to start your own business and the resources to supply the income that's necessary to support yourself along with the resources for funding the 401k? That would be wonderful. That's like going up to Bend 
and having a five weight fly rod to catch trout and also a seven or eight weight rod with a reel with a lot of backing on it to swing flies for steelhead. And what Doug is describing for anybody who's uninitiated are just <laughs> different sizes and, and uh, uh, we'll say stiffnesses of, of fishing rods. Backing is the line. The, uh, the, the reel for fly fishing, for anybody who's not into fly fishing, has kind of, we'll say, three different types of line, maybe four different types of line on it. One is the line that's actually where the fish are biting. That's a clear line. You might have that attached to yet another line called a leader. It's also usually clear. And then that's attached to yet another line that typically is weighted and it might sink and it might float. And then that is attached to what's called the backing, which is like a nylon-y kind of line. It's not a clear, typical uh, fishing line line. And that's the backing. That's the uh, that's your that's your line of last resort. So if you if you run out of everything else, you're really hoping you have more of that. Sorry, I should have uh, I should have explained that a little better. I I just automatically jumped into all of the uh, the intricacies of fly fishing. <laughs> Everybody, it's all right. Everybody's on the same level now. We all we all got mm-hmm. it. But the the interesting thing um, too that you can add into that, I suppose, in in some fortunate people's situation is, in some cases, people uh, have money that they're inheriting and they might be receiving as gifts, and that's uh, unless you've actually received it. I, I usually talk with clients to sort of plan as if it's not coming, if that makes sense. Um, so they're not they're not waiting for something that may never arrive. Oftentimes, that's something that, except under under very specific circumstances, you're not certain to receive. You know, mom or dad could change their mind about you and not actually give you the money. They could spend all their money, etc. Um, but when all the stars align, then sometimes people do receive. Uh, gifts or inheritances that can be a chunk of money. What do you think about that, about trying to integrate that into this sort of resource picture? Um, You know, I think there are cases where it can be. There are cases where there are irrevocable trusts, as you're well aware, out there that people get at certain ages, or they're an income beneficiary starting at a certain time, or there's an independent trustee for a, a time, and then they can start relying on those resources. All of that can be built into the plan. Now, in thinking about that, how would I have a good fly fishing analogy for that is probably uh, fishing for trout with a fly that steelhead would also like and mm. maybe getting lucky and hitting a hooking a steelhead. Nice. Um, on that on that the Rogue River, which is up near Bend, right? Yeah, and the real big one in Bend is the Deschutes. That's the big the river Deschutes, that flows yeah. into the Columbia, and uh, that's where all the steelhead runs are. Okay. It's a it's a big river that you need a boat. But what they have, they have uh, April, somewhere in the sort of April to May time frame, they have a very large stonefly hatch. And that might be a time if your stonefly is a massive bug yeah. for anybody. It's like the size of your finger. Um, that might be the time of year where you you'd, you'd throw a stonefly and you know what? You just might catch a salmon uh, yeah. because the salmon run might be tailing off. It usually happens sometime in the spring, I think. Um, and then they have very large uh, quantities of what they call red sides, which are really just rainbow trout. But they're very beautiful. Yeah. And that um, that boat you're talking about, that's having a big resource. So that's mm. like having um, a trust set up out there that your grandfather did for you that you get when you're age uh, 30. That's mm-hmm. you know that's like having a boat on the the Shoots River. All right, all right. What's the second? Next? The second part of this is 
talking about, okay, what do you want these resources to do? If I've got a fly rod with line and reel and the terminal gear, flies and the leaders, all that stuff, I kind of have a base idea of what I can do. Then what is it I would like to do? What are my real dreams and aspirations? What do I want these resources to do for me? So what do I want my 401k and my personal savings account and any other resources that I have? What do I want them to accomplish for me? So my dreams and aspirations for this life. Do I want to retire early? Do I want to retire at age 50? Or do I want to keep working but just slow down and maybe take a different type of position that has less stress so my income will go down? Are those some of the things that I would like to do? If I have the resources that gives me the ability to do those things, well, they have to become part of the plan. And in many cases, what we find is that people have certain amounts of resources, but maybe not enough to retire at 50 but they may be able to retire just fine at 57. It's just postponing that drain on the assets for that additional seven years. And that's true with with fly fishing, is if you walk out into the river and you're fishing for those red side trout up in the Deschutes River, if you have only four flies that are the appropriate fly for for fishing for red sides right then, then you wanna be careful with those flies. You won't want to fish them in really snaggy water where there's a lot of debris in the water that you could snag that fly and have to break it off. You've only got four of them, so you have to be careful with those resources. If on the other hand, your spouse, because she's wonderful, she he or she went and purchased five dozen of the best flies for the trout on the Deschutes River, then you can fish in some very, very tough spots because you have plenty of resources to risk it. So that's kind of the the correlation or the the comparison with fly fishing is if you have those resources, you can afford to take greater risks with them to accomplish those goals. In which case, you may very well catch a whole bunch of trout that day because you're fishing in in places that are difficult to fish that you ordinarily couldn't risk your flies on. I have a friend who always says that when you go buy flies, what you're supposed to do is buy twice as many as you need, and the other half is for your fishing companion. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. so if it's working, you've you've got something to to share. Well, I I typically when I'm tying up a new fly, I will typically tie up on average five, and the reason five is I want one plus a backup and then one to bring back so I remember what it looks like so I can tie more. And then I figure if they work, my fishing buddy, he's going to want at least two. So he's got a backup. So I figure any new fly that I tie, I've, I've got to have at least five. Oh, you went to actually creating, creating flies, tying flies for yourself. Oh, no, I just go to the store. Well, that's what see, I did. But, see, but I'm I'm that entrepreneur. So I started my own business. Ah, see, that's what I, I see. Did. The artist, the artist entrepreneur. Yeah. So then after we've looked at the resources that you have available and then the dreams and aspirations, what type of fish you want to go catch? Next comes how much risk are you willing to accept to do that? Are you willing to invest your 401k in 100% equities and see it bounce all around? See it lose over 20% at some time periods in calendar 2022 
knowing that over lengthy time periods, 10, 15 years, that money will come back. We will see a recovery. It's just going to take some time. Are you willing to accept that risk and be able to sleep at night? Now, that's like fly fishing. If I go up and fish the Deschutes in July, I can probably wear thin waders and, you know, light pants underneath, and I'm not, I'm not going to be cold. Uh, I'm not going to freeze myself to death. If I go up there and fish for steelhead in October, November, I'm going to want chest waders, heavy duty ones with felt pants underneath those waders just to make sure that I don't get hypothermia and my legs fall down and drown. That's where all of the specialty um, types of gear comes in fly fishing. And from an investment standpoint, that risk really is, okay, am I going to start my own business and have a lot of my eggs tied up in one company's assets? Am I going to join a startup company where half of my compensation is going to come in stock of that company? The risks can be um, huge, but the rewards can be huge. So it's, it's all on your tolerance for risk. So gauging, how do I deploy these resources to maximize the probability of me reaching my dreams and aspirations with the least amount of risk possible. It seems like there's two, maybe two elements to the risk that you're describing. One is obviously the gear, you know, think about the gear that you're going to wear or have with you available um, while you're fishing because conditions can change quickly. Uh, And so, you know, you can start out with a nice day, it can get cold and windy and blustery. You're going to need different gear for later in the day than you needed during the nice parts of the of the day, of course, just like the markets can get stormy and crazy like they have been the last few years. Um, but also there's risk in 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 a, a combination of, for example, the way you fish and where you fish and the amount of water and the type of water that you're fishing during the day, depending on the type of fish that you want to catch, somewhat like in the way that you are are making decisions about how you're going to invest. Like you're saying, you know, if you're working for a company, you're getting comped with uh, uh, instant incentive stock, uh, restricted stock options, et cetera. You're really locked into the performance of that company, the performance of that stock. You know, it's like fishing the same spot all day long. Mm-hmm. You know, if there are fish in there, great. If there aren't any fish in there, not so good. So you may you may consider whether you want all of your your success to be tied into that that scenario. Yeah, that's that's really the portfolio risk that we're talking about there. If you have a well-diversified portfolio in your 401k and you're maxing out your contributions to it, and that portfolio is is truly well-diversified, meaning that you're invested throughout the entire world at all times, then you can take a, another portion of your assets and risk that 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 individual position that may be may be very well tied to your employment. Then. Mm-hmm. The last part of all of this is, okay, how do we then minimize the the risk associated with just being alive? And there we're talking about primarily insurance issues. Well, let's talk a little bit about this. Do I need life insurance in case something happens to me because I'm the primary breadwinner for my family and I want my children to go to college? Well, that's a way to minimize some of the risk associated with my earnings. And the choice that we've made that my wife would be a, a stay at home, a work at home spouse. Along with that comes liability type insurance. 
Should I have an umbrella in case somebody breaks their leg on my property? Things like that. Automobile insurance, make sure that I have uninsured motorist coverage, all of those things on my automobile policy. That's similar to the same thought process you think about. If you're going to go up and step into the Deschutes River in October and November fishing for steelhead, then you might think about a personal flotation device, something that you can float with because those waders, I don't know how many people here know what waders look like. You've probably seen them in cards or commercials where they're called chess waders and they're suspenders and these rubber boots that come from your toes all the way up to just underneath your armpits. Well, if you fall in the stream, those fill up with water. When they fill up with water, it's almost impossible to swim and they're going to drag you with the current. So there are a lot of safety precautions to be taken so that if you go down in the water, that you're going to survive. Wader belts, most important thing. Now that's a belt that cinches up around your waist. So everything below your waist is protected from getting water going in, or at least very much. So that will float. So your legs will float up and you can tread water with your arms and stay, keep your head above water, float down the stream until you can get near the edge and get out of the water. Mm -hmm. That's just like um, having Oh, an umbrella policy or something that safety strap that covers you in case something goes sideways, a car accident or something like that, where someone sues you and you know you've got sufficient coverage so you don't lose your house or you don't lose the ownership in your business, things like that. Right. There's a yeah. And the, the, then the other the other I think the other element to that and you're, you're sort of alluding to it, I think, by this very interesting analogy is the. Um, the level of the risk that you're trying to cover, you know, so if you're trying to cover the risk of just like disaster, which is you drown, you die um, <laughs> in the fly fishing scenario, hopefully it doesn't happen. But, yeah, it could happen. Um, you know, then you, you're you're looking at getting insurance covered coverage that's basically just covering disaster sense, just enough so that it's not negative. So you're you know, your outcome is not negative. And if you need something more than that, if you want to a little bit more coverage than that, then you got to have more. You know, for you know, you could have some sort of flotation device, for example, on your chest. Mm -hmm. If you're if you're fly fishing, you could have your belt. You have some sort of fl flotation device to keep your head up, so you can actually float. Uh, so maybe in that case, you're looking at uh, life insurance coverage that goes beyond just say covering your funeral expenses and you know the last expenses of your life. Maybe it's going to be something that's going to replace the anticipated future income that you could generate or the investment returns that you're missing out on because you died too soon and then you know some even something beyond that if you want so you have to you have to match up the level of the risk number one the risk itself and then number two sort of the amount of sort of safety you want that's going to cover you from that risk i think that's a that's a good example um when you think about certain professions say a doctor mm. They are going to have liability protection. They're going to have insurance at the office. Mm -hmm. A doctor, I would also probably recommend that they have a larger umbrella policy than I would um, say a teacher. And that's just because as soon as someone sees that doctor behind their name, they're, they're more apt to sue for more money. So they need a larger umbrella policy. And remember, all an umbrella policy is is it's added on to your homeowners and or your life, or excuse me, your automobile policies 
that your liability may go up to about a half a million dollars on your um, automobile and home, then an umbrella policy kicks in after that first half a million and may go to a million or two million, whereas doctors may want one at three to five million just because they're apt to be sued for higher dollar amounts. That's kind of like me. When you get to be my age, I'm 65, I not only wear a waiter belt, but I haven't done it yet, but I should probably get what's called a waiting staff. And that is simply a stick that you walk along. It's like a, uh, a trekking pole, a hiking pole, backpacking pole, ski pole that you would use to steady yourself as you're walking across slippery rocks. Now, Brent, you don't need one. You're quick. You're agile. You're not 65. So you can get by wading into the chutes without a waiting staff. I can't. I should really get a waiting staff. Uh, so that I don't fall down, get hypothermia, and die there on the shore. We're hoping you don't die on any <laughs> shores. Let's just be clear. <laughs> probably uh, even on top of that, I should probably get, there's these cool things now um, where they have CO2 cartridges in suspenders for your waders. So you just pull the tab and they blow up these balloons on each side of your face. Right. So then it floats you up. Right, exactly. Yeah. There's a... <laughs> So I went fishing this summer. You were talking about kind of like boots. What what type of boots do I wear? Um, I went fishing with my brother. We we're in a relatively small stream, but a very bouldery stream. Okay, if you imagine sort of a, a bouldery stream with lots of sort of white water looking water in the in the fly fishing world, we'd call it pocket water. Okay, lots of pocket water, and meaning there's like little very small pools in between lots of boulders. And the fish sort of sit in these pools. So you've got to cast into these little pools. So the boulders are, they're moss covered and there's a current. And so it's very slippery and you, it's its easy to lose your footing. And I have some boots that have different inserts. So they have different soles to them with different tread, depending on the type of stream that you're in. And I, I was sort of debating, I have some that are felt and they have little uh, like metal spikes on them, little teeth to them. So it's felt and teeth and felt is very good on the moss. And then I have some that are just rubber, like normal. They look like hiking. Boots. And I couldn't decide, you know, which is the right one. So I because we were going to have to go up this stream and then get out and then hike back down to the car. And the felt is not so good for hiking, but it's great in the stream. And the rubber is not so good in the stream sometimes, but it's really good on on the trail. So I went one and one and one. OK, one foot had one, one foot had the other. And all day long. I had one foot just sliding all over the place and the other foot was fine. That that is really interesting. I have never thought of that. I have um I don't know that I'll ever do it again, but yeah. it was it was an interesting day. I have a pair, I believe those boots are called corkers, right? Yes, they are. Yeah. Yeah. I have a set of corkers and I have always just switched them out. I've never tried one of each. That now that's really creative. Okay. That is that is very creative. That is like Fly fishing with with three flies, so you've got everything covered. <laughs> now there line. is a there yeah there is a yeah. method of fly fishing that that is nice. And next session we'll talk about investing and the different types of of fly fishing. And so we can spend more time on that. But but what you're talking about there is kind of like having a dry dropper. Um, rig going. Yes. So we'll talk more yes. about that. From an investment standpoint, I think what you're talking about is diversification. Mm -hmm. The problem is you only had one of each. 
When we talk about diversification, what you needed was about 15,000 different yeah, right. feet. Then you would have been diversified. So then if you only had three or four that were slipping, you had the remaining 14,998 that right. were still gripping and you were doing fine. Right. So right. that's just a that's just a good indication of of adequate diversification versus diversification but but I would consider it inadequate from an investment standpoint. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's uh, yeah, that's a very good topic. We'll we'll have to cover that by by of course perfect analogy to this fly fishing analogy in the future. Well, any any final thoughts on planning? Planning for fly, fly fishing as an analogy to planning for financial success. Yes, each each and every individual or family has a different plan. The nuances of their plan are going to be different. That's why it's so important that the plan be custom tailored for an individual. The same with a fly fishing trip. The same thing is true with that. I have been fishing in the Amazon where you're throwing great big flies with very heavy leader, very heavy line that is designed for big angry fish. I have fished in very small pocket water, you're talking about for trout, where you need very fine lines, very delicate tippets or lines, and very delicate presentations. So each plan you need to prepare for. If I took my Amazon gear up to the pocket water that you were fishing, I wouldn't catch a fish. And if I took my pocket water gear down to the Amazon, I would get plenty of, of takes and bites by the fish, but they would just break the line. So I wouldn't be very successful in either one. So I think having the right overall plan and strategy before you, before you commit to things, set it all up so you understand exactly what you're doing and why you're doing it is the key. So I, I think that's a, a good analogy. Look at your gear and take the stuff you're going to need for that species of fish develop the resources that you're going to need to fulfill your dreams and aspirations. And it sounds like be honest with yourself too and your abilities. Yeah. Or, yeah. you know, there could be areas where you could improve, where you could practice and get better. And there's other things where you're just, I know I'm just never going to be a world-class caster of mm -hmm. flies. I know that. I don't have the skill. It's a skill. But I can be somewhere that's good enough for me. Or I can get better for me. And I think everybody also, when they're planning, they have to be aware of, like you were talking, like when we, when we, when you first started describing this, you were kind of talking about like, you know, what's your ability or what is your, what's your habit of saving or, mm -hmm. or putting money aside? You have to know yourself. That's true. That's, and, and that's just one of the keys is getting started, getting started early. And yeah, I think there's an old cowboy movie. Uh, what is it? Uh, it's probably a Clint Eastwood or something where he, he's saying that, yeah, an individual has to know their limitations. Yeah, so right. <laughs> that's the key. <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> well, Doug, it is always a pleasure. Thank you again for uh, doing this with me. Anytime, Brent. My pleasure. Hey, listeners. Thanks again for joining me on the podcast. It's fun to do it for you. If you're enjoying it, please subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to my blog at wealthandlaw.com and follow me on social media at wealthandlaw. I'll see you there.